So we've been doing this thing where, because at, at the beginning I usually was like big intro, you know, um, but it tends to be more fun, I think, if we're just kind of having a conversation, we just pick it up from there. <laughs> it depends on what we're doing, right? There are times yeah. when I'm just doing a solo show and I'm like, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about all of the prices. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's good. But welcome here. Welcome. You welcome to the show. Appreciate How's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So I have, how do you say your last name? Ayala. I always tell people it's like y'all with an A at the beginning and at the end. Ayala. So. <laughs> so we're here with EJ Ayala. Cameo Duran or Doran? We don't care. I <laughs> I care. Um, well, I mean, I, I my husband pronounces it different than his brother, so like nobody. Oh, really knows. I see. It, it's, I see. It's just dealer's choice. <laughs> I see. We don't care. I've, I I looked out with a with a last name that everybody knows the word to Curry. You can't really mess up. So nice. That's funny. Um, yeah, so we're here. We're here to talk to EJ. Um, I'm actually really excited to get into this. Um, you've you've got a lot of great stuff we kind of have like a little pre-question thing that we do to sure. get to know you before you come in and um, I've looked at this a few times today I really put some effort into it uh, I was I was actually surprised how much remote work um, DraftKings has because mm -hmm. um, I've even like I said I've, I've seen several of, of they've, they've posted some positions that LinkedIn just feeds them to me and it's like everything's hybrid or remote how 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 long have you been with them? So just a little over a year now. Okay. Um, but I've been working remotely just in general for about seven years. So I guess before it was even cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> way before it was cool. Have you always been in the the marketing space or? No, no. I just I kind of got thrust uh, into that role. Um, originally, I came in uh, to handle their operations to help them launch the marketplace, uh, make sure we could help launch the products, like from an operational standpoint. Um, and that's kind of what I focused on. And then, you know, we had a, a need uh, from like the marketing perspective. And I think because of the, you know, job that I'd done on the operations side of things, right. they're like, hey, you think you could do this for us? And I said, well, you know, let, let's, let's, let's give it a, let's, <laughs> I'll let's, try. Let's give it a shot. You know, why, why not? You know, but, uh, you know, overall, it's, it's been a good experience. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. And you're, you're here local. Um, we're all here local. It's nice to have access to so much talent here. I'm, I'm kind of, yes. I'm always surprised by it. And it's funny because I've worked in this valley for a long time, uh, coming on 10 years now. And the, it's, it's funny to me because everyone seems to know everybody, but there's always like new people to meet. There's always new stuff going on. What were you doing before, uh, before where you're at now? I was working for Coinbase. So um, essentially, they were looking to launch an NFT marketplace once upon a time that everybody thought would save the entire NFT industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, it had been delayed for, for quite some time. And so I had been doing some consults, consulting in the space and just building communities. Uh, I had a pretty large following and uh, I was like a top trader on OpenSea and just mm -hmm. uh, you know, really involved in the space. And so I think through that with my professional background, which w originally was 12 years in finance, um, they just needed someone to do kind of some project management process improvement stuff. And I went in there and we went from having that be delayed to launching that marketplace to get it off the ground. So. Yeah, and you were, you, I, I remember you said you were a top 5% trader on OpenSea. What does that mean? 
<laughs> how, how is that? How is that recorded? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, everything is recorded on chain. Um, so essentially, what happens is, you know, I re really got big initially into kind of like the art scene before all the madness of like the you know profile pics, the PFPs yeah. really hit. Um, so I, I saw, I got in as a collector originally because I was just super fascinated with, uh, you know, kind of the development of smart contracts. NFT started popping up. I'd already gotten into DeFi for a while, and I thought this was like a new evolution of some new things that could be done with smart contracts. And so as I started collecting, you know, you build relationships with the artists uh, directly. And I, and I started noticing like all these people from all over the world, you know, that maybe did not have like the financial advantages uh, that we experience in places like the United States. And so I was getting to know people in Brazil and, you know, Spain and Mexico, just all sorts of different places from all over the world. And these artists were now generating sales for their art and revenues from the royalties. And uh, it was turning their lives around. And so I said, hey, this is something special that is happening here. Like it's really kind of leveling some of this playing field and people are really able to kind of like own their art and uh, people are able to participate and build these communities and I thought it was super fascinating. So when I developed these uh, relationships as a collector, I then um, realized, you know, like I could actually, you know, sell some of these and participate, you know, as a trader. Uh, and so I started shifting to that and I realized like all the different patterns that you would see in financial markets I could see. <laughs> right. Also, you know, with, uh, you know, trading NFTs. And so I think a lot of people started making those connections. And so that's when you started seeing kind of the mania a little bit by the time kind of the PFP and Top Shot and all these other things started happening. And so through that, uh, you know, you get involved in multiple communities and it's just like a steam, like a snowball effect of, you know, being involved in so many different places, talking to the right people, knowing what plays to make, look, knowing what to look out for, uh, what is legitimate, what is not, right? right? Yeah. And so through that, you know, in that year, 2021, I was a top 5% trader. And then I started saying, hey, there's, this seems very kind of speculative kind of bubble. And I just remember as soon as 2022 hit, I uh, liquidated about 75% of my portfolio as a, as a fail safe, yeah. which ended up being very fortuitous. Yeah, so. yeah. That's <laughs> a, that's yeah, you, you look pretty smart now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so were NFTs kind of your entry into crypto or what was the real, no, what got you um, into it? Yeah, no. Well, I said crypto, but I guess like Web3 in general, right? Because those are different things. Exactly, yeah, because crypto I got into in 2017. Um, and it was just like Ethereum and Bitcoin were kind of king at that time. And uh, I didn't uh, do anything too crazy. I was just doing kind of some retail trading stuff. And uh, I was I made enough before that kind of before the crypto winter hit to you know put a down payment on a house. And I said, oh, well, maybe there maybe there's something here. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so but then obviously crypto winter set in and then DeFi summer popped up three years later. Uh, and then I was involved, you know, with a lot of DeFi stuff. I was doing some yield farming and just a lot of different plays with DeFi. And that's and then that rolled into the NFT stuff. And that's when the, the Web3 kind of mentality more kicked in. And I got involved as a trader, collector, uh, community builder, uh, consultant, doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I love I love the way that communities form yeah. this way, right? Because it's it really is truly this idea that anybody who has the the ability can show up and like, this is what I made. Are you guys into it? Yeah. You, you know, do you want, are you, do you want to buy into this? Um, and it's, th that's one of the things that, um, that we try to focus on is like the ability to bring this, this type of, 
um, mobility mm-hmm. um, with with your income and stuff to everyone, right? Yeah. The big thing is dis- decentralizing everything, and that includes like getting people who aren't aren't they may not have access to the industry here. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like like we said, we were talking about before we started recording. There are tons of remote devs out mm-hmm. there that that benefit from this this type of, of community building and give, letting letting people really uh, rest on their abilities yeah. and, instead of just where they are. Right. This this is a really l- fortunate area, I think. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's great that so much of the industry here still relies on external sources like remote devs. I mean, I have. Uh, the, the vast majority of my team is remote devs mm-hmm. right now, and they're some of the best devs I've ever worked with. Yeah, you know, and they've been they've been working with with my bosses for years, and um, it it feels good that we're able to bring everyone up regardless of where they are. It's all about their ability. And yeah, yeah. So I, d- I do think it levels the playing field, and I would even expand on that a little further. I mean, definitely the dev piece because there's some of the true builders, right? But um, I have so many people that um, have come to me over the last couple of years and said, hey, I want to get involved in Web3, but I'm not I'm not a coder. You know, I don't know yeah. how to code. And so I don't know, like, like what to do. And, and I say I, I, I tell everybody the same thing, regardless of like what their uh, personal uh, background story is. Everybody has some sort of skill that they've garnered. Uh, throughout their lifetime and they can inject that skill into a community somehow uh, particularly if there's a, some sort of hobby or like a, a group and as a collective like you can help build each other up uh, within those communities and, and lend your skills to those communities uh, you don't need permission is what I would say is one of the biggest things about web through people are always waiting for someone to provide them some sort of opportunity or uh, give them a plan or a court. You don't need all that stuff. What you need is just to be a hands-on participant and just document the things that you learn with the technology as you use it because everybody is starting at, uh, this is such a, an early inflection point with this technology and there's always this period in, in early stages of technology where nobody is truly an expert just yet you know right and, and so right. the experts are being built now so in and even with this bear a lot of people have left because they were like oh well you know it's over but history <laughs> history has shown and this technology keeps moving along and if you look underneath at the data of the development that's still occurring it's just a matter of time you know yeah i agree well and i mean like you you mentioned the bear um that is occurring, but at the same time, you know, if you're watching the the wallets, you also see that a lot of a lot of the big holders, a lot of the big investors, they're pulling their money, they're pulling their coins out of exchanges, right? right. They're all they're all holding on, they're waiting, and and that th- everyone else will see that as oh, the the holdings and exchanges are dropping, so we should all just get out mm-hmm. as well. And people people get really reactive to the wrong signals I've noticed. And I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not just uh, coins, it's not just tokens that causes this, right? People do this in the stock market all the time. Yeah. Same, you know, it's, we, we like to call the stock market basically the, the, the uh, it, it, it follows rich people's feelings mm-hmm. is really what it is. And Coinbase kind of democratizes that but we all still get panicked we all still make emotional decisions in our investing or in our in our trades whatever we're trying to do mm-hmm. and it sounds like you 
were able to keep that down, <laughs> made some smart decisions. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you, you know, part of it is like being very involved in the space. And so I think that gives you a sense of what is truly going on versus just going on Google and looking at what the crypto news might be on certain publications right. and then getting emotional based off of that. And uh, also, you know, being, you know, doing NFTs for a certain amount of time, like I, I, you start looking at the data a lot more and then just trusting the data a lot more. So uh, once you start kind of like looking at the different patterns and usually what most people do is when they see, you know, something starting to really rise up, they're like, oh, this is the thing that's going to hit. And then they start buying like crazy. Uh, and then when it starts going down, they're like, oh, no, like they, they, I need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I need to cut my losses. But in reality, the people that are, you know, really making out like bandits a lot of times when these situations are doing the exact opposite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even when we're having conversations at home on like what we're putting our investments into, we'll have these moments of like, it's dipping, do we lead into this or do we say, oh, I'm buying this at a discount today? Right. You know, like what What do you, uh, what are your best, I guess, cause you're looking at data, right? So, and you've been doing this Part of it, yeah. yeah. So, so what do you do to keep your emotions in check when you're making decisions? Well, I think a lot of it has, uh, you have to rely on your research. Mm -hmm. Part of that is the data, uh, but some of it is uh, also understanding the teams that you're actually buying into, yeah, you know? And so I think people is still um, that intangible, right? And so even when I was doing, you know, in the heyday of the NFT stuff, before I would even consider, uh, you know, purchasing an NFT, I would look at who the team is. Yeah. What if, not just the name of what they've done in the past, but what is their skill set? Um, are they trying to do something different um, what do I think their motivations might be? Do is it they, hard to get that information on the teams? It depends. You know, sometimes yes and sometimes no. You know, there's been different strategies from teams where uh, they do things where they purposely don't want to leave information out there because they just want people to speculate. And there's been other teams that overshare every little yeah. thing yeah, in yeah. hopes that that will bring confidence. And I think there probably should be more of a happy medium like around that. Um, I think sometimes, you know, uh, companies put out so much information that they box themselves in and are not able to be nimble enough right. uh, when things pivot in a market, you yeah. know, so that can be a detriment. And I think there's also times where you don't put out enough information and then people are wondering, like, if you are still committed to a project, you know, so there's, you know, kind of a double edged sword there. Yeah, yeah that I makes sense. I feel like this is on my mind a lot. Like yeah. Finding this balance of how much do you talk about the project? How much do you? How much do you want to brag ahead of things mm -hmm. happening versus right, talk about? Right, how much of that is a commitment? Yeah, right. Versus, you know? yeah. And then you have to be held to the words that you mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Yep. When, when sometimes, I mean, like you said, this is the beginning of the tech. This yes. is this is really when people start to become masters at it, and <laughs> and it's going to take a while before we have really awesome products that most things are going to fail on our way to figuring out what works the best. That's absolutely just kind of the nature of it, right? Yeah. Well, and the community that you're describing is such a Web3 specific thing. Like that doesn't happen kind of in traditional Web2 style projects. And it's just a whole different mindset that is, in my mind, a big thing of what defines, you know, Web3 from other things. Mm -hmm. It is. Like I think one of the differences is uh, there's an expectation of some symbiotic kind of relationship of 
just value, like you're trying to build something interesting for us, whether it's entertainment or otherwise, just something that, some sort of exclusive benefit to us that is meaningful, something that deepens our, our in, my, in our case, like fan engagement, right? Uh, experiences, um, and every, every company will be a, a little bit different, but I think a lot of people come into the space, particularly from like Web2, and they don't understand that mindset. They just think that ultimately what happens is you have a product, you do your go-to-market launch, you sell it, and that's that. Yeah. And then <laughs> they're, not ex they're not realizing that you now are on the, this immutable blockchain and that you, know, you have XYZ that you may have indicated as benefits or promises or whatever it might be, and you are now being going to be held accountable by these communities. And, and even if you have success on that initial kind of drop or sale or whatever it might be, if you don't take care of your community, that may be the last sale you're going to get out mm -hmm. of that community. They may not come back. And so that's why, uh, you know, I've been really excited about some of the things that we've done uh, with my work at DraftKings, you know, because we just launched our preseason stuff for uh, Rainmakers Year 2. And, you know, you always have that feeling of like, hey, you know, I feel like we've taken care of the community. We hope these guys come back. And, you know, we're now, I think it was over $4.7 million in, um, you know, 24 hours worth of uh, volume of sales, um, which is number one globally on all chains and uh, number two globally for the week so far. We'll see if we get that top spot, you know, by the end of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, let's talk real fast about your your position and where you're at and just yep. kind of let people know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So right now, um, like I mentioned, I shifted over to more on the marketing uh, kind of side, doing some uh, like leading a promotional operation. So a lot of the stuff that I do is, you know, we have, uh, you know, our, our various drops that we have for our product. Uh, and just to kind of give a little context there, you know, as far as like what the product uh -huh. <laughs> you know, really, right, yeah. really is, yeah. is, you know, it's kind of, if you take the magic of when you were like a little kid, you know, collecting baseball cards or basketball cards, football, whatever it might have been, and trading them with your friends, you know, and just, you know, having something, your favorite guys that you could hold. Um, we want to bring that magic, but to the digital realm and then add additional layers to it. So uh, you, you, we have different sports that we have, you know, exclusive, you know, deals with right now for uh, Rainmakers football uh, with the NFLPA, uh, PGA Tour, and the UFC. So essentially, you know, users are collecting players. And then those players, uh, they have choices that they make. They can either just choose to collect them because they like collecting their favorite guys or certain, you know, teams, whatever it might be. Or, you know, we also have kind of the daily fantasy kind of element that's kind of uh, combined with Web3. So, you know, you have to have certain guys, uh, certain types of uh, digital collectibles to enter contests for prizing, you know. So it could be, you know, it could be cash. It could be, uh, you know, other packs for other cards. It could be experiences uh, that we've done. So, you know, we'll send somebody out for UFC, for example, to we send people out to the John Jones fighter. And we send people cool. out regularly to VIP red carpet experiences to fight night events. Uh, so just a lot of different uh, cool things that we've done. We've also sent people to, you know, major uh, uh, tournaments uh, with the PGA Tour, just a lot of different things that we've done there. And we're, we're looking to just kind of how can we deepen that fan engagement and what I was uh, put in charge of is how can we add even additional layers? And so uh, we have, you know, achievements like you would see traditionally in like video games, right? 
uh, you know, just for, you know, certain actions that you might take with your cards or holding certain cards or uh, actions based off the players that you hold throughout the season. Uh, I also, we also have like loyalty stuff like franchise score. So just who has the, you know, each card has a value and depending on what your total point value is for the cards you hold, uh, we'll award prizing throughout the year and it could be cash, it could be uh, packs, it can be other things, you know. Uh, we have a, a thing where we send guys out once a year to a big uh, special event, um, you know, that they compete with for a, like a million dollar prize. So there's just uh, different things that we try to do to mix in like the, the loyalty aspect. And then we still have kind of the standard, what I like to say, like uh, traditional uh, coupon marketing, you know, sure, like yeah. you know, yeah. buy X, get get Y, you know, yeah. kind of prizing, you know, and so a lot of different things like that or challenges of, you know, things like that. So It's interesting because you're, you're kind of exp- you're describing several experiences yep. on the same chain, right? right? So I can, I can go and collect cards because I like my, I like the players, or you know, I right. like holding that. It it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like I can also leverage these players if I have you know the right types of players into some sort of fantasy team that I can leverage for points or play against other people. Other people, right? Yeah, and and then and then you have the lo- loyalty rewards as- aspect. Um, I mean, those are all, all, all three are really compelling reasons to get involved, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And it's, it's showing up in a lot of different places. How did you guys land on this? Because this is a really broad use, several use cases mm-hmm. for the same utility. How did you guys land on that? Um, you know, I, I think that was part of just like the vision from our senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they uh, personally have always been uh, innovators um, and, and they have always been uh, full of conviction in the things that that they are they've learned about like throughout the years. And so they they already knew, obviously, that fantasy sports is something that we had a pretty strong foothold on. Yeah. Uh, but this was a new technology. And, uh, you know, one of our co-founders is actually very bullish in the Web3 space. And so. Uh, for that reason, like, uh, you know, they decided to kind of pivot into kind of this area. But knowing uh, the space, you know, more intimately, um, you know, I think the realization was, you know, we wanted to make sure that the this is kind of like a no-brainer kind of offer, you yeah. know, with this uh, product. So. Yeah, and that, that's actually kind of where I was going with this next question because most people, and this is a struggle that I think a lot of shops are having right now is, how do you deliver Web3 experiences to Web2 user bases? Well, we already had a yeah. Web2 user base. So, I mean, that's that's unusual compared to a, a lot of people that don't. Like, we already are in sports. Yeah. Right? So, we already know that there's passionate fans in that mm-hmm. realm. Um, we already had a lot of infrastructure built out. So, it was just more of, like, how can we bridge that to our Web3 technologies that we build out on our end? So... Uh, you know, from there, it was just a matter of like, okay, do we go full on Web3 or do we, uh, you know, really just kind of make this more Web 2.5? And so I think you have kind of this philosophy, uh, just really in general with a lot of companies where initially in, in the bull market, everybody went full on Web3. Right. They liked and, the buzzwords. Yeah. They liked and, the crypto uh, and chain and right. the, yeah, that brought them in. But, you know, with that, it does come some limitations, right? Because uh, anything from like data analytics to, you know, just being able to, you know, really track a lot of uh, a lot of things being able to really market effectively can be complicated. 
Um, and also just the UI UX kind of stuff um, is a challenge. And then you have to think about, there's just so many different factors like on-ramp, off-ramp, yeah. you know, decisions, open marketplace, closed marketplace. Um, how to, And then just because of the nature of, you know, our product, it made more sense to make it a closed marketplace. Right, because you're in a fairly specific regulatory space just in the in the DraftKings area, right? Just in, in yeah, sports Yeah, like betting. we're operating in uh, North America, in Canada. And so, I mean, there's a lot of other places that like to operate globally. Uh, but uh, with this particular type of product, but we're specific to we play by you know daily fantasy rules. Yeah, so. yeah. So you're you're lead marketing in promos, and and so did you help kind of shape the messaging for these Web three products as as they were trying to bring in people? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've definitely, <laughs> I mean, just like the industry has changed, we've had times where we've had to take a look at what we wanted to do and say, hey, how much do we want to, you know, press forward with that or not, but. Uh, we had a lot of interesting partnerships with Web3. Uh, we've done stuff with like Dead Fellas and Crypto Goons. Uh, we've done stuff with Pixel Vault. So we had a lot of really cool, interesting uh, partnerships that had kind of like this full kind of Web3 feel, you yeah. know, to it. Uh, and then, but but you know, our, our 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 thing too though is you know we have all all our other you know products, and so we already know we have like a very passionate uh, uh, fan base of like tons of uh, customers that. We can always, you know, cross sell and things, to, you know, as well. Right. So yeah. So is is this a is this like a layer one chain that you have these tokens on, or is it Polygon? It's Polygon. Okay. Yeah, That's everything's awesome. on Polygon. But I mean, if you take a look at it, I mean, all all the kind of Web three crypto stuff for the most part is almost invisible to the front end users. Right. So yeah, uh, we we custody all the the NFTs right now, uh, at least you know for now, and then. Um, you know, users aren't paying for crypto for anything. Mm -hmm. Everything is just mm -hmm. fiat. And uh, the only stuff that really impacts a lot of the end users really is, you know, obviously, you know, being able to use the marketplace. Uh, we have we let players uh, trade in cards for like recipes to be able to get new cards, uh, new packs. Uh, so there's some deflationary mechanics there, which are very cool, which is key, you know, because you've seen, you know, um, other players in the space that, you know, it's, uh, the, the, the tokenomics aspect is always a challenge, you know, supply and demand. And so you want to make sure that that is really buttoned up um, so that, you know, you can make sure that everybody's having a, a great time playing the product. Are you, are these users on some sort of fiat on-ramp on or do they know they're, they're on a Polygon chain? Are they, are they trading? It's, it says it on the product page, yeah. you know, there, there's a little Polygon icon i don't know how much users are really looking into it or right, looking right. at uh, even know what that word yeah. means oh polygon Poly scan. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah i don't know at that. the end of the day are they using dollars though right to get yes in? yeah so it's just uh they're using their debit or credit card right yeah. to just pay for uh you know their digital collectibles so. right yeah and they're not necessarily setting up like a wallet or uh if you guys are custodying things so it, it definitely yeah. it removes that kind of barrier which 100%. is always there for for yeah. you know, crypto stuff. What was what was your experience helping um, Coinbase launch their NFT marketplace compared to this cuz this is still technically an NFT marketplace but this is a little different I would say than Coinbase, yeah, I mean, right. and I think everyone right now is probably trying to get away from the whole NFT. I think, sure, I sure. think now we're probably just uh, calling everything digital collectibles, which I yeah. think is probably like uh, something that you're kind of starting to see across the board mm -hmm. in the industry. 
because uh, then you have to explain like what is NFT, you know. And mm -hmm. I think there's some probably negative connotations, just people not understanding the tech, right? But uh, yeah, Coinbase, uh, you know, they they were really ambitious. You know, I, I think what happened there is, uh, you know, they they also had their own vision of kind of creating this NFT marketplace that was. Uh, you know, going to be also some sort of social hub, uh, you know, around uh, NFTs. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's that's one of the difficult things about the the art NFT space is like, yes, you may own these these pieces, but if you don't have a shared space to, for instance, display those or use them as profile pictures or or what have you, you're just kind of holding onto the token. Yeah, I mean, you've seen some, uh, you know, different uh, things that have popped up uh, over time. So you now have like, you know, metaverse spaces where people have their galleries. So uh, there's like Crypto Voxels that did a lot of art shows with people in Crypto Voxels. And then uh, Decentraland, uh, mm -hmm. they had their own art shows and things like that that I was able to kind of enjoy. So, um, you know, and, and there's even places that will let you uh, create your own um, you know, galleries as well. Um, that is something that I think a lot of people have started kind of exploring, just their own personal gallery. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on cyber is one that I know that I, I even created a personal gallery of just stuff that I had collected and I purchased like this, like Atari, Atari themed game room. So you walk in and it's like Atari themed, like game cool. room and all your arts on the wall and it's great. You yeah. Know? That's dope. The only, and uh, to, True story. The only uh, NFTs I own right now have cameos face on them. <laughs> how many? How many cameos do you? You have, have two, two cameos. Yeah, yeah I, have I two don't cameos. even have any cameos. <laughs> That's the, they're, nice. they're, now I have to see which ones you have. Yeah, I'll show you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd mentioned kind of in this in this. So I don't know. It's really interesting to me um, the user experience trying to get users into the space because you you like you said you either have to train them on it or you just kind of give them a web 2.5 experience where they're doing what they're used to, but now they have a new thing to, to interact with. Yeah. yeah um, so that's why I do think if you look at some of the success, um, some of the bigger successes towards the latter part after the bull run kind of like ended, it's been stuff like Reddit, right? It's mm -hmm. been stuff like what we're doing. Um, and that is more, Web 2.5, yeah, you know, I would yeah. say. Um, and so because obviously we, we've made that choice, I do think eventually, though, um, it will become more of like a true Web 3 thing when a lot of the technical issues around like the user experience and like the data tracking can be figured out in a more elegant way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that will come with time. But I think right now, a lot of people are realizing, hey, like maybe we jumped the gun on that stuff a little bit because even when things were in the middle of the bull run, I mean, the people that were really heavily involved were people that had some technical ability and right. and, and and they were able to, you know, <laughs> grind it out to, to, you know, really take advantage of things or people that were new had to really try yeah. to figure out this new technology so they could get involved so. even even wallets just wallets alone without anything else usually has a, a fair amount of friction in it right yeah and and wallets have improved i mean i they gotta have. admit like phantom has really stepped up their game uh, coinbase wallet has really stepped up their game um so you are i'm starting to see the that's there's kind of a wallet war happening mm -hmm. um you know moon pay there's just so many different places right now 
because they're realizing that is the entry point for, yeah. for the user experience. Yeah. And if they can figure out a way to make that, uh, you know, uh, engaging, easy to use, uh, and they can layer other things into those wallets, uh, whether it's a product or service of some kind, I think that's probably the end game there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I've, I've kind of been watching the same flow. There is definitely a, a wallet war going on. I'm starting to see these B2B wallet solutions show yep. up that are really compelling. There are some really cool uses that you can have for them. I'm, I'm always a little conflicted on this because I think it's important to not you don't want to over obfuscate the fact that that the wallet is critical and the ownership of the wallet is critical, right? Like yeah. if we if we make it too easy, you don't have a chance to remind people like this is this is not something you should feel casually about, right? Um, sure. Because if you give somebody else access or if you so it's really important that people understand the ownership component while still making it like super easy. Yeah, because you, know? you still have the, not your keys, not your crypto. Yeah. You know, that you still have that issue. But I, it's, it's funny, I've been trying to kind of bring my, my father into some of the space for the last little bit, because I've been in the space and I'm like, dad, check it out. And like the, the 12 words was genuinely a moment where he was like, this is a lot. Like what, when would I ever need to put this back in? And I'm like, well, hopefully never, <laughs> you know, that's but, maybe, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe it's, it's so, so reducing that friction, it makes sense because that's usually step one of onboarding, right? You, you can't really have a customer account for most of these places without setting up your wallet. Cause otherwise, what are you going to do? That's the barrier to entry to get in there. So I'm curious to see what, uh, what the reduction of that friction looks like over time. And if there are other ways to, to, um, secure it, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, they, I've seen a couple of different ways um, already. I mean, you see uh, companies are starting to try to pivot to kind of like a single sign-on mm -hmm. type of key. Um, you also see other companies that are working on wallets that involve some sort of sharding yeah. technology, yeah. which is really interesting. So then the, obviously, you know, uh, the shards are held by a different, uh, you know, entities yourself and then they can be combined so then eventually you can get the key right and yeah. take all your stuff out if you want yeah for for those listening that's usually called a uh, shamir secret sharing and the 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 really cool thing about that is that it's so broad right you yeah. can have you can store a shard on your phone you can store a shard in the usb you can agree to have some third party store a shard right and you don't need all of them to to do the recovery which is good that that's a better user experience than than traditional legacy wallets, right? right. Where you, there's still a million Bitcoin somewhere in a landfill that yeah. no one will ever get back. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of the, the nature of it. Um, what, in in regards to loyalty rewards, because that's that's a really interesting um, topic. What, what do you see as the strengths for blockchain tech for loyalty rewards, the way that, at least the way you guys are doing it? You said something about like being able to hold causing rewards for, for a user. Yeah, I'm glad you drilled in on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we have a program, you know, that I kick-started off called a Franchise Score where, you know, every single card has this value. Um, so we, just by holding the cards themselves, uh, and you get ranked on a leaderboard. Mm -hmm. And so that's a gamified way to always see where your ranking is based off of what cards you're holding and then we just have snapshots where we periodically reward users for that so 
Uh, I think anytime you have a leaderboard kind of gamified aspect to it, it, it lends to some natural competitiveness. Sure. You know? And, uh, and also just like a flex opportunity. People love flexing, yeah. you know, when they're on top of their buddies and things like that. So I think that was just like a natural element uh, of the game that we really wanted to add. And it kind of falls under this loyalty kind of collector um, umbrella because cause here's the thing. With our product, it's like, okay, yes, you can hold cards, these digital collectibles, and enter these contests to win prizing, but then you gotta know the game, right? Right. You gotta have some skill at, at that point uh, and then b based off how those guys perform, uh, you know, you may win or you may not, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the questions I've had because, like, so many leaderboards are built on, like, single stat things. And and this sounds a little more in depth with, like, an actual understanding of, of the way that these cards are going to drive value for you over time. How do you guys select by what unit of measure people are in these leaderboards? How What's, what's the difference between first place and second place on on your guys' boards for holding compared to just, I spent the most money and now I'm at the top. Yeah, no, that's that's totally a, a fair call out. So, cause that was definitely one of our, you know, concerns when we were creating, you know, this program. So for starters, every card, uh, like I mentioned the score on each card. So there's, each card is different rarities and different sets that they come from. So the way those scores are calculated, and real some quick, people are buying packs, right? They're, so they're buying not packs, buying individual cards. They can, they can do both. Okay. So okay. continue. Sorry. Yeah, they can do both, but only the cards themselves have the, value. the actual value yeah. once you open them from the pack. So they've so. got rarities and scores and yeah, different different sets that will drop throughout the year. And so uh, other sets, some sets are worth more than others. Uh, the higher the rarity, the more scarce, the the more those will be worth. And so. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you can collect in, in bulk a volume, and that'll certainly help, but, you know, uh, the rarity and all that stuff also impacts, you know. But we also, so we have, we actually have two leaderboards. Okay. Um, so one, and it depends on the sport, you know, generally how they work, but but generally what happens is we have a an overall leaderboard that goes runs the whole year. And that is just like how I just described. So it's just whatever you hold the whole year. But then we have a separate leaderboard to, to kind of handle the thing that you just mentioned where it's a limited time leaderboard. So it's only cards that were collected during certain windows mm. of time are eligible for the rankings and scores of that leaderboard. And then we have prizes for that. So that way, you know, yeah, you might have a user, right, that, you know, maybe ranked uh, as a top ranked guy on the other leaderboard, but maybe if they had, didn't have any activity during that week, Right. Guess what? You know, you, yeah. now you now it's fair play for that week. You know, yeah. or, or whatever that time frame might be. So. And that's that's the that's the loyalty rewards the way that you guys are doing it. So what are the rewards? Is it yeah? Other so cards or D, yeah. So we it can be uh, cash, DK cash. It can be um, packs. It can be um, experiences. So it really just we have a variety mm, of things. Like some people to yeah, the fight. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we have lots of different things that we can award um, just based off of like what type of leaderboard it is and how is there a 10 pull moment and something big that we want to do around that time for that snapshot. So yeah. it'll vary throughout the year. No, that's that's dope because when when I hear loyalty rewards, I think like Delta Sky Miles. You know, just, you know, just <laughs> yeah. other money that I can use elsewhere. But this is this is actual engagement, which mm -hmm. is something that's really cool because you're you're helping feed the behavior of the people that are on the board in the first place, mm -hmm. right? 
you, you're collecting, here's some more to collect, or you're, 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 you've, you've only collected MMA fighters for the last six months, we're gonna put you in a drawing for, to go see the fight, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. That's really cool, that's, that's super compelling. Um, what do you, what do you see as, and I'm, I'm trying to step away from any future plans, um, but what do you, what do you see as far as like the way that loyalty rewards have, have expanded to mean more than just sky miles over time? Like how, how do you guys drive the engagement and, and discover new ways to reward your users? Yeah. So, uh, we had a separate program that we created around portfolio stuff, which is more on what the experience stuff that you talked about. So. We also have these uh, portfolio-gated contests where you don't necessarily have to enter these cards into like the contest, but you have to have them in your portfolio uh, to be able to enter the contest. Um, and if you win the contest, then we have these uh, these VIP experiences, whether it's uh, an exclusive fight, uh, whether it's to uh, you know a PGA Tour event. Uh, or you know whatever we might do uh, for one of the sports so uh, and, and we we like to really kind of go all out with those and so we've had stuff we've done where we had a, a guy train with an MMA fighter you know uh, and so like there's just money can't buy kind Brooke, of you in? You in experiences on that? yeah. <laughs> that's, that's dope <laughs> that's awesome okay that's cool those and the thing is like a lot of those experiences are um, I mean, compelling to the base, right? right? That's that's the that's the trick. Um, and I mean, it's it's compelling enough for me to want to get <laughs> involved yeah. Yeah, myself. I'm, if I could have gone to the fights this last this last weekend or two weekends ago right here in Salt Lake, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, taking a step back a little bit, I mean, you're you've been with DraftKings for a year. Um, you've been in crypto for a little bit. Do you see do you see any new um, pathways for Web3 to intersect with the, the betting industry? Did, are there things about Web3 that gets you excited about the industry you're in now? Um, I mean, I think sports betting, because it is such a highly regulated industry, is going to have its challenges, you know? Um, I know that there are people, you know, outside of our company that are working on some things, uh, but you know, eventually I think it'll get there. I think it just is a matter of when, you know, mm -hmm. but I think that there is, is definitely something interesting there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That it's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm constantly curious about this cause it's that, it's that whole transition, right? All of our, all of the users are web two and we have the space of web three, which is, um, a lot more decentralized, a lot, um, you, you talk about it. Um, you use the word without permission that people can just get involved yeah. and and whatever whatever entry they're looking for are there are there versions of that with your product where I can just hop in and get involved and and feel like I'm a part of it without uh, making purchases or th things like that yeah I mean we have our community in the discord so I feel like a lot of people just like to kind of test the waters there mm -hmm. and just get a sense of like hey which community do I vibe with is it the UFC community, the PGA Tour community, the Rainmakers football community. Um, so I think that's always a starting point. And I would say that just in general for really any Web3 community is the main thing you got to do is you got to you got to get where the rest of that community is and see what the vibes are and and see, you know, if you click with the people in those communities and uh, and then 
a lot of like the participation and the sharing happens uh, in those spaces. So yeah, how big is your Discord? Um, you know, the last time that I looked, um, I think we were like around eight to ten thousand users active. That was a big chunk. Yeah, that was a big chunk. Do you find? I mean, I, I actually haven't looked. Does Coinbase have any sort of did, what what does Coinbase use for community outside of like the exchanges? Do they, they also have like Discord communities or online communities in general, or or is that something that's more on the re, uh, the DraftKings that you've you've experienced? Well, they wanted to put everything on to the site directly, yeah. you know, so they wanted to kind of get pivot away from kind of having this third party app and then having it be more of like engaged uh, on the website directly. But then what they have what, what some of the challenges are when you decide to make that uh, pivot is content moderation. Yes. And it's something that people don't think about until they have to do it. Until they have to moderate. And there's a lot of work involved with that. Just from um, a manpower perspective in CX, and then also from like a QA perspective and a policy perspective, mm -hmm. Because uh, then all of a sudden, particularly when you're dealing with, like, in, in their case, a lot of art um, and people are able to kind of mint whatever, mm -hmm. um, you have to start all of a sudden set guidelines of, like, what is acceptable yeah. versus not. And that line can be a little blurry. And so then the training, what what anything that is subjective then at that point you know for one person that reviews something versus another right becomes difficult and so um there's a constant like flow of managing that entire process and that that was something that i started to get involved with before i i left uh, coinbase to go to DraftKings. so yeah so they they wanted to kind of do like their own coinbase on-page type of community management stuff and yeah it's, it was like a marketplace with kind of like a social uh, community blended in um, you know and I think you know the anticipation there was when we had put out a waiting list for the marketplace uh, we had such overwhelming demand because it was kind of close to the tail end of the bull run things uh -huh. were starting to die down but people were like well this could be the next big thing that I think we um, we felt the demand was there yeah um, but I think um, our strategy uh, probably was not ideal uh, in how we were going to do some of the launch because what we what we ended up doing was you know we we got a lot of you know celebrities uh, high-end artists uh, with people with high followings right and we did kind of like a like a beta launch just for them. But in my experience and something that I, I know that I talked to some people about in my time there was, I don't know that that was the ideal scenario because they are, um, they, they're producing uh, content. They are not the collectors. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not buyers really for right. the most part. So, you, you know, you're not going to get a lot of activity, you know, from people just putting stuff out there you know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, I think uh, that was probably something that needed to be re rethought of. And then by then the full bear kind of set in. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just made it a very big challenge. And, and I th we had spent so much uh, time working on CX and content moderation and VIP kind of 
customer handling with like celebrities mm -hmm. and that then we were like, oh, like where's the <laughs> customers? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the market's crashing yeah, so like I, at the same time. <laughs> I, I think if, if, if it, I mean, obviously hindsight's 20, if we could have launched, you know, six months prior, maybe it would have still For been sure. fine, you know, but uh, I think at that time it just made things a little challenging, but I think that we learned a lot during that time. And um, there's still a lot of ta super talented people that work at Coinbase uh, right now that I'm so grateful uh, to have met because I was able to really pick their brain about the industry and uh, and a lot of the people that I uh, worked with some of them you know are still there others you know ended up at other companies yeah. you know that I still have you know contacts with uh, that helped help me throughout my career as well so yeah yeah I, I uh, on the Discord had DraftKings Marketplace pulled up is that your guys' main server yeah. DraftKings Marketplace. Cool. Yeah, it might have spiked up because of football. So that's wild. Oh yeah, it's it's time. It's time. Yeah, and it's just preseason, so yeah. we're 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 excited. So yeah. Um, how did you two meet? How do you guys know each other? Um, you know, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, li li yeah, LinkedIn buddies. Yeah. So yeah, she hit me up Cameo and said, can "Hey, work." <laughs> Cameo knows how. Well, because when you see somebody interesting talking about stuff, you're like, "Hey, I want to know more about what you're doing." So, yeah. and then when I realized he lived here, right. I was like, "Dude, like, I, I'm taking you to lunch." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, I have. Um, the the thing is like I have personal interest in this. I'm like you said, football season's coming back, and I right. I, I usually mess around a little bit now because where we are, I have to be be kind of careful. I don't know. The, how do that? That's that's a question I have. Is like I know that you're just in a certain amount of space because of the regulatory space everywhere. Um, how do you guys balance the the regulatory requirements that you have? Because yours are fairly stringent. Mm -hmm. um, to how do you balance that with the the wants and needs of the users the marketplace itself i'm i'm fascinated about how you guys were able to leverage that and still keep it within uh what i would say regulatory clarity mm -hmm. you know what, what was what was that challenge like i mean we just take the the guidance uh, from our experts from our team you know yeah. so everybody within our compliance and legal team and we just do our best to we play by the daily fantasy rules, um, and so that's what we've been allowed to do. And so we just try to follow those guidelines and make sure that we're always within the lines of those things. So, and then having a marketplace kind of it, it it seems like it's it's not particularly intersecting with the regulatory space on that. You you can do both of those things as islands, and they're not they're not in conflict with each other. Is that is that assumption correct yeah i mean we haven't had any problems like we've done everything on the the up and up so awesome. like uh, yeah. i think because we've already been working in such a uh, tight regulatory space with all of our right yeah uh, sports book and you know other verticals and things like that so we were already pretty familiar with what needed to be done so yeah. are you guys looking at any other markets or are you just kind of comfortable where you are right now you know, I, we're just going to have to see, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, ch things change. Yeah. <laughs> for you know. sure. For sure. Okay. That's awesome. So I have a question. Are you, you kind of got into NFTs because of, it sounds like a little bit of love of art um, or like right. that. So are you still really actively engaged in kind of the Web3 artist community and those are kind of those relationships you had built? Yeah, I still keep in touch. Uh, there's actually a, a couple of uh, artists uh, from Utah that I actually is, is who I, I started kind of linking up with. And 
And some of these people started out with like very low followings on socials and things like that. And I, cause I didn't have a big following initially. And uh, through that, you know, we kind of just bonded over the technology and the art. And, but what I, but what I realized is when, even back in the early days of talking to these artists is a lot of these creatives, you know, they, they have this skill but they're just not business people, yeah. you right. know? Yeah. And so they, they struggled so much with marketing and pricing strategies and um, how do you build momentum, you know, how do you make content and things like that. And so that is what kind of led to a lot of the consulting stuff that I ended up doing in my early days is just let, let me help these people out. Cause I've always, I'd always had, you know, kind of like a side hustle. And so I did some, Amazon FBA stuff. And so I had a lot of experience with like online sales, like mm -hmm. just personally throughout the years. And I said, you know, I think I could help these guys out. <laughs> you know, I think I can, and uh, I think I can help these guys out. And so that built a lot of relationships just there from like that perspective. Right. So. That's it's super in, uh, an interesting way to really get into NFTs from that from that art yeah, side. Yeah, because I wasn't I'm not a coder, you yeah. know. Like I right. understand the technology, like I can talk on the technology, but I'm not out there writing code to build anything. So I came from like a process improvement, um, you know, project management, uh, kind of even some compliance stuff that I done. I came from that background, and so. I basically went into Web3 thinking like, I know that eventually there is going to be operations, uh, you know, marketing, compliance, all these roles that you see in traditional, you know, businesses will eventually translate to the Web3 space, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to find people that have both their chops in the Web3 space, in the weeds, but also have the professional background mm -hmm. Uh, in other areas of need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, because um, absolutely, especially because you spend an entire career learning, you know, accounting or, or whatever it is that you're doing, and then there's this entire new headspace. Because right. it's, it's it, while you might do some of the same things as a job, the actual getting that information out and pulling that information back, like even even ops and like workforce management is going to get touched by this at right. some point. What that looks like, I don't know. It used to be spreadsheets when I was on call floors, you know, yeah. <laughs> and everybody was just keeping track of that. Uh, I do I, I do like that there's, I mean, you, you've kind of made the point before where, you know, you have an NFT artist who doesn't really know how to get into the space because they can't market and stuff. And mm -hmm. so there's still there's still kind of space for a middleman, but it's not an actual middleman. It's like a partner at that point. I, let me help you figure out how to market yourself. Let me let me help you build your community. The the thing about Web three is that you take out all of the the actual middlemen mm -hmm. where you have to exchange hands and, right. and they'll deal with your stuff and um, that's that's what what would you say is the best way to to enter into art now as if you're if you're trying to get into it like do you just hop on OpenSea, throw your stuff up and pray or like how how do you see success with people who are trying to get in uh, i mean the art market right now is struggling you it know is. so that's probably you know that's uh, that is a tough question right now but you know i think this time the people that are starting to uh, grind it out now are going to be the future stars of tomorrow in the art world. 
Um, and it really starts with the same as what you mentioned uh, to me prior. You know, it's it, and it's you get involved with the community mm -hmm. because what happens is everybody that is an artist typically has like a, a niche of art. Right. Mm -hmm. right, uh, right. And so they, they have like their little niche of art. And um, and there's a lot of like tribalism uh, around like niches and like around <laughs> chains and all this stuff. So you get involved on the chain and the niche. Uh, with those communities and what you'll find is a lot of artists make the mistake where they try to um, not participate in the Web3 part. They think, I'll just mint my art mm -hmm. and I'm just going to put it out there and the art will speak for itself uh, and it'll sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. Um, but what I have found actually is the, the best recipe for success anyways that I have found is just like any type of sales the best way to market your art or your product is social proof, mm -hmm. you know? And so how do you get that social proof? You get involved with these communities and, and that's why when I started, I started out as a collector, not a seller. Mm -hmm. and, I, I, and through collecting, I was collecting other people art, people's art. From there, you build these relationships and if, if even if you're an artist, even if you collect pieces that I'm not saying you have to spend five grand on art to build a relationship. There's a lot of, especially now during the bear, there's a lot of art there that does not cost very much money, you guys, you know? <laughs> and you can go, you can get in touch, you know, with these artists and say, hey, I love your piece. Like, you know, I just collected it. And then as you start kind of building these uh, relationships with these artists, um, you form bonds and communities within those artists. And then if you do decide to put stuff out, you now have a support group yeah. of people that will root you on and support your art and comment on your art and retweet it, yeah. you know? And yeah. all of a sudden you are not alone in trying to market your art, right. you know? And it's authentic because you've established those connections with these uh, other artists mm -hmm. already, right. you know? Right. Which is interesting because you mentioned like the, the VIP experience before bringing in people who have followings and whether or not you could leverage those. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's I, a shortcut, right? That's that the shortcut. That's the yeah. shortcut that people try to take. Yeah. And I think in the hype market, uh, that generally does work. Sure. But sure. I think uh, in a bear, then people don't react to things the same way. Yeah. At know? best. I mean, I can imagine bringing in the followers of an artist might inspire some, some sales, you know, because they're already probably in, engaging with that art and, and purchasing some for home or whatever. Right. It's a little bit different in in this space because, I mean, a lot of the th I I enjoy art on my wall, sure. right? And and so the it was it took me a while to understand like where else can I post this? You know, where else can I have this? Um, and 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 so that's that's when you because you're collecting now. Do you do you have any of the the pieces that you have? displayed and if so how or in in virtual spaces compared to real spaces yeah so i mean there are a couple of different ways that you can really um, kind of leverage the technology and also new technologies so uh, companies like token frame came out and then you have obviously your your frame and you can put your nft I on think that token frame so dope yeah so and cool. so you know we, we've done some stuff like that where we've given out some token frames of you know different nfts and that's been kind of cool to do uh, but I, I have a token frame of some art that I like. Also, you're you're starting to see a lot of uh, pivot into AR. 
Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah. there's a lot of interesting things. I think you'll start seeing more mainstream with AR and, and VR, but I would think AR is actually uh, probably e even more so interesting, you know? Um, you know, so you'll be able to see this holographic image, you know, popping out, and I think that's a really cool aspect. Yeah, I, I also think that AR is a bit more compelling as far as a, a, the market goes, just because I can still drive. Right. <laughs> you know, I can still drive with those on. I can still work and go throughout my day. Um, I'm curious what you – so we, we mentioned at the beginning that – I mean, this is the beginning. Right. This is the this is the it's still early. Yes. Yeah. This is at best. Um, what was after dial up? What was the um, I had it in 2001 at my house. Um, anyway, it was it's the next version of the Internet. Right. The actual higher speeds and stuff. We're kind of in the same space. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, we actually have two uh, technologies happening at the same time. We have blockchain tech really taking off. And then we also have A.I and yes. really taking off, right? And, right. and I, they, they seem like they can be complementary. Um, they also seem that like they can, that it, it almost feels like um, AI has enough power to move forward. It's, I, I tell Brooke this probably once a week on an episode. Um, <laughs> I think we're hitting, we're, I think we're within 10 to 15 years of most folks not believing anything they see on a screen. Sure. With, it know, might happen sooner than that. Exactly. Yeah. The deep fakes alone. You yeah. Know? Um, so, so you on the one hand you have this this budding technology that's that's advancing genuinely exponentially, and and it's it's causing uh, really cool disruptions. But I do think that we're going to end up in places where people just don't believe what they see right. because anything can be faked. And then we have blockchain which is trustless systems. It's, it's a way to verify truth without ha having to believe in one monolithic entity to tell you what's true or not. Right. And I, I feel like we have in the future this balance where blockchain is gonna be the thing that keeps us knowing what's real. It keeps us honest, it yeah. Keep, it has to, right? That's, that's really the only, the only thing that's gonna get us there is because I mean, at some point, you're going to see concerts that aren't real. You're going to see speeches by presidents that are completely not real. Right. And the only thing that we can leverage is we were, we were actually making jokes about this yesterday at lunch where uh, proof of session. Proof, <laughs> proof, <laughs> proof of sesh, proof yeah. Of sesh, <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, if you're at an event, you can say, yeah, I was here and this is what it was. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, I'm curious to see what AI does with the rest of the Web3 space to complement it. Yeah. Are you guys messing around with it at all, or are you just kind of waiting to see what happens? You know, I think we've always been innovators uh, in the space. I think, uh, you know, any company right now, if you're not looking at AI, you're going to be left behind, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I recently was on a, a boardroom article where I talked a little bit about that, uh, you know, and I think AI is just going to be something that you have to be involved with. Uh, there's so many reasons for it, really, just because, uh, but, but I think there's some caveats, you know, with that is, I think that people that are looking to use AI and think that it will give them all the answers on a topic that they don't understand are gonna have a hard time. Yeah, yeah. What I think AI, especially at this stage, is best used by someone that already knows about the topic 
and you use it to get you like 75% of the way there. Yeah. And then you personalize it, check it for accuracy, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and then, uh, and then eliminate, you know, a big bulk of your workload, you yeah. know, and, and, and now you're seeing so many things that are happening with it where you can have, you know, your AI bot, you know, so they can do tasks. It's not just responding to a query. Um, you know, you have, uh, obviously in the, the image realm, you know, so many things that are happening now, whether it's Dolly or mid journey, um, obviously, uh, language models are improving, um, chat GPT, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all, all those things uh, are going to just continuously going to keep improving to the point, but, but even right now, even whenever I've used, uh, you know, whether it's chat GPT or anything else, like, uh, I, I'm fine. I find mistakes all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and you see, you see examples of like, I think there's a lawyer, right. That he tried to argue a case based off of like research that he got from chat GPT and uh -huh. fake citations. Fake. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if he got disbarred or, or right. what, you know, yeah. but, <laughs> but the, but, but you can't, you can't just rely on. And, and I think that is what uh, lazy people will do that will get them in trouble. Um, but I think the people that really understand like, kind of like the capabilities of this, well, like, especially now, if you want to be a solopreneur, I would say, yeah. uh, you maybe you maybe have the best opportunity right now today Ever. to be a solopreneur because you can, if, especially if you have technical ability and you say, hey, uh, maybe I can leverage this as my designer with like mid journey or, you know, what, what other software you want to use. Or maybe uh, I need to help with some cop my copywriting. And a lot of it is like, don't have it write all the content for you. You are still the creative brain. Give it the ideas and, uh, and give it the frameworks of what you are trying to have as desired output as specific as possible. And then once you get those uh, outputs, then tweak it to your tone, you know, to, to really have it have max impact. Yeah. So, I've, I've noticed that the biggest issue with a lot of these programs right now is that the prompt isn't expansive enough to where it's like, really, you want to get all the information that you want in something and have it clean. Right. Mm -hmm. Rather than having it produced. Yeah. 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 No, I've, I've, I mean, the solopreneur, the, the product person, you know, it's, it's a really wealth, it's, it's a, it can do anything, right? Okay. It can right. do anything okay, but if you if you're able to give it your knowledge and let it build off of your prompts, 100, then you can get somewhere. You can yep. you can put together a wireframe for an app idea you have, right. or you can yeah. That's that's the I've seen it that that's its superpower. I think right now it has. I don't know if you messed with it very much. It has gotten noticeably dumber over the last month or so. I'm not sure what they're doing. Yeah, some basic math. It just gets yeah. wrong. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's getting dumb. I don't know. Well, and it's it's getting more squirrely. It is. I'm having a harder and harder time getting it to give me a clear answer when I, when mm -hmm. I ask it th for things that have a definitive answer. Right. I was telling Brooke, I think, this yesterday. I, <laughs> I was asking it, who had the most successful career? Matchbox, twin, no, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, or Goo Goo Dolls. 
And it gave me the squirreliest answer. It was like, <laughs> well, you know, both. It's hard to define what, what popularity means for an act. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was like, BS, ChatGPT. <laughs> there is one person who sold more albums and had more awards. Yeah. Who was it? Oh, okay, fine. It was Hootie and the Blowfish. Well, why did I have to actually challenge you to get me to answer the question? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw somebody uh, this, this morning on Reddit who had was prompting uh, ChatGPT and it had said something like, I'm a language model, I need to stick with my regulations, I can't answer this. And he was like, I assure you, you're sticking with your regulations. It was like, okay, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the answer. Yeah. Well, I don't think it has any, it doesn't have any way of deciding what's true and fake, right? Yeah, right. It did. it's just given a data set. Right. It collects all that data and gives you, it tries to make you happy with a response. Well, and, and truthfully, it's, it is, um, it's predictive text. It's guessing what the next word is every time it writes a word. And, and that'll lead you into places where it doesn't really want to be pinned down on a true answer. Right. So, uh, but you can ask it for some coding solutions and it'll do it. Sometimes those fail. Sometimes they are brilliant. It's, it's really interesting to see it. I'm, I'm actually seeing job postings now for um, prompting coders, people who... Prompt engineers. Yeah, prompt engineers, exactly. <laughs> that's, like, that's the latest, yeah. It's such a wild, it's a wild thing. I'm, I'm curious when we start to see prompt engineers and, and blockchain devs be the same person. <laughs> yeah. You know, see, see what that looks like. Yeah, I think Netflix has uh, put a, a job posting up for, uh, I don't know if it's prompt engineer, but it's kind of like a, a step above a prompt engineer. And right. I think it's like a 900K yeah. job. Yeah, you know? it's almost so, a million a year. Yeah. That's wild. And I think that's the Salt Lake office that's, that's yeah. hiring for that. So that's a, that's a job. Um, well, on, on the, I mean, just in general, I mean, could you tell us what, I mean, what does a decentralized world look like to you? What are you most excited about in, in the space right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it would just be true uh, data and ID, like ownership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to your point right now, it's just a little clunky because like if I want to own my crypto and I don't want it custodied, for example, you know, then what? I have to have it on my ledger. And yeah. uh, if I have it on my ledger, well, how easy to use is that, you right. know? So like I'm merely just putting stuff in that that I don't want to touch for years. You right. know? That's your hodl box. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or and then identity stuff, I think, is going to be big. I think there's a lot of players in the space uh, that are doing things with identity, whether it's like civic and DID kind of work that's happening right now. But I think, I think, and there's some kind of like dangerous stuff too, right? <laughs> like, you know, everybody saw kind of like the, the world coin thing, you yeah. know, scan your retina, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, Me to neither. be honest yeah. with you, like uh, that seems like uh, it has the, the, the possibility to be abused, right? I, I agree. And so I'm always super leery of stuff like that, you know? Um, but I think eventually there'll be some sort of happy medium there as well that is uh, easy for us to use. I, I just think it's just going to take some time. Yeah, I, I agree. The, all of these, the the central bank digital currencies starting to. No, don't get me involved in all that. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not feeling that either. I'm you not know? feeling it at all. And it's it's interesting because like they're trying to solve the problem because the the idea is I don't, I don't know. We've we've done a few episodes where we cover. Um, stuff going on at like the Congress and the SEC and things and and there's there's an actual quote where where uh, was it Ginsler who says like who, who's like you, you these these crypto people just go in and like 
printing all this money and, and they can just make it whenever they want. I mean, yeah, we do that too, but we're the federal <laughs> government. Like, that's fine if we do it. Yeah, we do that too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And now, you know, my concern is we're about to have these banks with these digital coins that, I mean, they just want to do the same thing, you know, but with wallet addresses. There, there's no part of me that believes that we're going to have a scarce quantity of some CBDC and it's just going to be, you know, the same thing as buying into Ethereum or buying into BTC, where I know the limit. I right. know the max. I, we, we guess on how quickly we'll get to the end of that max. And yeah. I do think that as as AI and quantum, quantum computing starts to advance itself, I think we're going to see mining rates change. It's, sure. Right now we're guessing that the last Bitcoin will be mined in, what, like 2100-something. It's entirely possible that that we don't hit that mark just because of the advancements in calculations, but we still have a finite number of coin and we all know what that is. And we all are planning on the same thing. No one's going to be surprised the day the last coin is mined and go, Oh, what? There's no more oil. You know, it's not, yeah. it's, it's a different thing. So I'm, my, I have, I have, my concerns are people are, uh, banks, banks are going to just act the same. They're just going to do the same thing that they've been doing, but with their, with wallet addresses now, you know, likely. Yeah, I'm a big uh, BTC guy, yeah. you know, oh, so yeah. uh, I actually I've told you guys this, but I'm actually from El Salvador, which is a country that has legalized Bitcoin as, yes. as legal tender. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be making a trek out there um, for the first time since I was been three years old. That's awesome. Just because uh, obviously super crypto friendly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, their tourism is picking up. It's it's become much safer over the last couple of years. Uh, Binance uh, just announced they're getting their license to operate in the country. Oh. Uh, in the last uh, two days, that was announced. That's Very awesome. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting things happening out there. And I'm just like, why am I not? Like, I have family out there. <laughs> it's like, why am I not going out there and checking it out? So I will. Yeah, you know, that's so super so exciting. Get to know. I'm going to do this kind of like get to know my roots thing and uh -huh. do a little business on the side. <laughs> yeah. so. You taking your kids with you? Uh, no, it's just going to be me. Just That's awesome. Yeah. A little solo trip. Yes. Good. Good. That'll be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you say when yeah. you come back. Same. Yeah. That'll be... Okay, let me look through. I have a question. Yeah, go so ahead. So where, what are you feeling about the NFT market right now? Are you, you, you guys have some really successful launches yourself. Like what, as somebody who's speculated and kind of what are you, what are you seeing and what are you thinking about what's happening in the, in the NFT marketplace? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the the major players right now are just uh, mostly going to start just laying the groundwork for the next bull run. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what you've seen now is a lot of people that were in it for the speculation and the easy cash uh, are they're they're going away. Yeah. You know, they've gone away for the most part, and so um, the only ones that are left are people that have true conviction in the space maybe they have a champion in their company that really believes in the technology and understands that you know this is an additional layer to enhance like the engagement uh, for their user base in some way like whether it's loyalty uh, or or something else you know but um, you mean like I said Reddit obviously had mm -hmm. their thing that they did that was uh, you know super impressive you know we've done our thing but you're gonna start seeing I think more people kind of do this web 2.5 thing where they realize, hey, we have a massive database of millions of users 
and how can we enhance their experience in some way with this technology rather than making it necessarily the core right. product, but just addition to something that they are already doing. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, the, I don't know, the, the so do you see any other pathways for NFTs outside of art? Yeah, I mean, I think you're actually going to eventually see everything that is popular today as a tokenized NFT in the future, and particularly like the hottest segments. So whether it's health, wealth, dating, sports, yeah. art, music, this is not brain surgery. You know, those are going to still be the mm -hmm. same because why is that? Think about it. Um, you guys mentioned a thing about, you know, how do you create this like rabid user base or fan base, yeah. right? Build out the community. There's already niches that are full of rabid fan bases, right. you know? And it's just more of like, how do you tap into that? And if you're already a business that has already tapped into that, then it's more of like, how can I leverage this new technology for that particular niche mm -hmm. right yeah. right so but a lot of people are doing it the other way where they're just building something with a technology without addressing how popular it would be with yeah. that yeah. user base yeah. and then trying to make it popular with that niche you right. know right and that makes it harder it's much harder so do you guys i mean in these niches do you like target the influencers, influencers or leaders in, in the spaces that you're already looking for and kind of try to partner with them? Is that the idea behind like the VIP uh, customer experience that you guys built out is, do you target, is, I guess is that the, the question, is the strategy to target communities that already exist in the space that you're looking for and then bring them in? Or how do you, how do you kind of decide what your pathway is? Yeah, I mean, that's what we've done. Yeah. But, um, I mean, for us, obviously, we signed these exclusive deals. Yeah. And so because we've signed these exclusive deals, we're the only ones that can have, like, this type of products with these leagues that we work with. And uh, by, by virtue of having these exclusive deals, uh, we have unique access to players. And so anytime we can leverage uh, those relationships to provide – unique experiences or some sort of like social push we'll definitely do that you know so that's an advantage you know but but even 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 outside of us i mean there's still a lot of people out there that are very smart and have started pushing uh you know social influencer initiatives um whether it's TikTok, you know whether it's x now yeah, instead, yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. of twitter right <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and depending on what your niche is, there's there's always opportunities. But the, I think the struggle then becomes it's like, how do you make it authentic? You know, and I think a lot of that is really just having the people that you work with understand, uh, you know, the product a little bit, I think obviously helps. Um, but it, but in general, I think there's there's just so many different ways to like leverage relationships and whether it's social media or, you know, I exclusive content from. Uh, celebrities or other endorsement things like that there's always things to explore yeah that makes sense and the yeah it, it I've ever since you mentioned I've kind of been thinking about it because like if you bring in celebrity with a bunch of followers that's different than bringing in an artist with a bunch of followers because the the latter group 
is probably more inclined to make purchases for art spaces, right? Um, but the it's, former group, you can probably get them to purchase specific things if it's, you know, if it's in her hand. Yeah. Hey, the, the Kardashians have so shown that you don't necessarily have to be much right. of an artist to be able to sell lots of things, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, well, there's two things there, right? And I, I think there's a... And it goes back to the authenticity thing and who the audience is, right? Mm -hmm. So the one thing is street cred, social proof, street cred within the niches of the communities that you're involved with. Mm -hmm. And so if you are working with somebody that is involved in that community and has a large following, that is going to play to an audience that is already engaged, right? Whereas if you are looking sometimes at maybe like a big random celebrity endorsement, I see that as more of a mainstream play, mm -hmm. you know? And that is someone that, you know, normies, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's someone that maybe like a, the, the casual person would kind of like get their eye on the product. And so uh, there's always gonna be a battle there, you know, uh -huh. of like, well, who are we catering to? Who are we trying to bring in? And I think that, you know, that can be a double-edged sword because sometimes like particularly in like the web three NFT space, because during the hype cycle, there was so many uh, celebrities that came into the space to just extract money without necessarily providing any value to their communities in some way um, that left a bad taste in people's mouth, you yeah. know? And so people got the reputation that, Oh, as soon as uh, by towards the end of it, a celebrity was being brought in. They were like, oh, I'm not going to touch that now yeah. because this is not, you know, what I mean? but and I don't think that I don't think every celebrity is like that. But, you know, I think you have to be very careful of like who you partner with and things like that. And and obviously, if you have like an artist that's really involved uh, or someone in your niche that's very involved, that's willing to kind of like put their neck out on the line and say, hey, I, I really like this project. Uh, that will carry more weight with the people that have been around. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. That's, it's uh, it's an interesting challenge. I'm curious to see how this goes over the next little while. Because, um, I mean, w the, the other thing is, I asked about outside of art objects, right? But music, you know, film, yeah. we have more than just images that yep. is coming down the pipe here. And so... I'm I'm curious to see, especially music, how how, uh, and I, I mean I guess music is a lot more. <laughs> Your kid, music music is um, a bit more difficult to do, I think, because you need a player, right? You need some medium in which you can go and pull out your file and, right. and play yeah. it, kind of the the Spotify of of the token frames, you know. So so we're still gonna need to see that space but my curiosity is and I, I feel like this is this is more of a challenge with music um, you can't really have I mean how many how many of these uh, chains are open to the point where you can have competition for the user experience where you can have multiple companies showing up and saying we have the better player or we have the better frame or we have you know a lot of these are first party and first party and first party and and you're on my chain you use my ui mm -hmm. type of stuff yeah I, I don't know like i feel like um yes all the ui stuff is is definitely going to be a big factor for mainstream users in particular but um 
there's also so much tribalism, um, I think, on chains. But I think people are starting to, particularly in this bear market, you see so many big players that were very hardcore about being uh, chain maxis start to realize that multi-chain is the way to go. So you see, um, you know, OpenSea, Magic Eden, mm -hmm. like their marketplaces, like OpenSea originally was just Ethereum, right? And then they expanded to a lot of different chains. Magic Eden was a Solana maxi, right? you know, yeah. and they expanded to several other chains because Bitcoin ordinals are, are, are really popping right now. So, um, and you're, you're gonna see that you really do have to expand. And you see also kind of like the more successful, even NFT projects, for example, um, whether it was like Sappy Seals or like Pudgies, like they embrace like people like on, like in various places, you yeah. know? And so I think that that is really key to kind of like grow you know, your user base. But yeah, user experience is still gonna be a big factor, um, but but you've seen it over t over time how it, how it did make a difference. So. Uh, OpenSea was the first mover in NFTs, and so just by volume and being the biggest player in the space, uh, they went bananas. Uh, but then uh, Magic Eden came out, and they had a better UI UX, I felt like. Yeah. And people were sleeping on them. And when I was at Coinbase, I was uh, doing this thing called NFT uh, with a... Another guy called uh, his name is Pete Balastracci, Plunge Father, yeah. on uh, Twitter. Uh, he's a cool guy. <laughs> he's big in Cool Cats community, and uh, we were teaching people about all the different things that were going on in Web three. And I, I specifically said, "Hey, don't sleep on Magic Eden." And then uh, you know, the gods and so many projects on Magic Eden started to really pop off, and then they 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 eventually took on Ethereum and a lot of projects that were on Ethereum went on there as well. And now they're doing Bitcoin ordinals. So, right, yeah. you know, and they're actually, and people don't know this, they're leading market share right now for Bitcoin ordinals above any other NFT marketplace. And so sometimes it takes having to pivot, you know, to open up your user base uh, to make sure that, you know, you're still bringing in business. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't know that about the ordinals. That's yeah. cool. Um, well, my laptop died, so I'm all out of patience. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to fix that. But yeah. oh, good. Okay. Well, um, in that case, let's let's go over how can how can people follow you? You are Rare Breeds NFT right. on on Twitter slash X, depending on when yeah, you're yeah, exactly. To this. Um, awesome. Yeah. Is, and are, yourself on LinkedIn? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm myself on LinkedIn. Um, and it's those are the two. We'll make sure we've got links to anything that you want people to follow you on. Yeah, and great. All right. Sounds good, man. Cool. Um, and then make sure to follow the rest of us on all the links that we put down below. And, yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this was fun. And please, if you have more questions for us, for, for EJ, uh, let us know. I'd love to. I'd love to hear your experience from El Salvador when you get back. Yeah, hopefully uh, I'm going to try and make it down there by the end of the year. So, so we'll see. Yeah, this is fascinating. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, appreciate this it. Thank you.